I'm so thrilled that, and and that's one another thing that Woody Allen mentioned at Cannes. He was like, "I'm I'm not writing these characters, uh, these legends, as they were or as they are, and how we perceive them. Just more of a satirical look at them." Like Hemingway mentioned, "Oh, I can't read your book because if it's if it's bad, then I'll hate it, and if it's good, I'll hate that I didn't write it." <laughs> like, I love that. Oh, so many wonderful moments, and and. Not not discounting any of the uh, visual flair because this film does have it. I love the opening, absolutely love the opening where you just you're just seeing Paris and each shot has a wonderful geometry about it. It felt like a Jacques Tati comedy film at times. Like, have you ever seen Playtime? Yeah, actually, I own. Okay, yeah, I own a copy of it. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, that that's a movie where you watch it and. You're just, like the he directed the shit out of that movie. Like each visual gag is so brilliantly put together, and that's kind of what how I felt in the beginning of of this film, where each each shot is so geometrically wonderful. I don't remember Richard Linklater getting the same uh, affection <laughs> when he opened before sunset the very same way, <laughs> going through chronologically the places <laughs> that our couple <laughs> would be. Well, I d- nope. I did. The make- question was asked: Was he even needed on set? <laughs> Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host Mike, and we are done with another trilogy. This time, one that takes place in gay old Paris. Uh, I've been I've been working on my uh, French accent. I've been reading a lot of Agatha Christie, and so naturally, you're gonna you're gonna run into a bunch of Poirot novels. And and I tell you, you had that one locked and loaded. I did, you're ready to go I did, on I that one. And so whenever I read uh, the Poirot books, when I'm reading it out loud with with Poirot, I, I always always uh, uh, read it with like a very thick French accent. And I wish that I was practice. I you know, as if like when am I going to really get to use these accents? But yeah, every single time I any line of dialogue he has, like ah, but what about this Meldel? You know, I, I get really get into it. Uh, so this trilogy takes place in in Paris for the most part uh inception i think we're we're kind of giving it a we're cutting it a little bit of slack well i mean it's it's location is the mind or <laughs> sit, sitting on a plane so uh but i w- i would say it's you know the big uh the big exposition the big trailer moment uh is paris and that's that's i guess the only city that grounds it in our world and it's also uh, it's kind of a stand-in for the the purgatory, I guess. The cop character, DiCaprio, you know, he can't go back to the states, can't go back home, so he has to settle for being Leonardo DiCaprio, dream spy in Paris. You know, like, I mean, a, a hellscape for any of us, right? To to have <laughs> to be that be our prison term is to be Leo in Paris. But I think he makes it work. I think so, uh, and it is one of the films uh, where he doesn't want to be in Paris any longer. Uh, you've got uh, you've got Owen Wilson in Midnight in Paris, and he wants to stay there 
forever. And then you've got Ethan Hawke's character in Before Sunset. And he is really kind of in between those two. Where he's there for a purpose because of business. And he's giving this book tour. But all of a sudden, he doesn't want to leave, I suppose. Or he's, he's the only thing keeping him there is the love of his life. And I thought that's interesting. Each of these movies, you've got these protagonists that their lives are changing in Paris. Um, and I think that's a really great uh, common thread between each of these movies. I saw it as a, a glimpse to keep with the, the dreaming aspect from Inception. In the other two films, there's this daydream quality of imagining what your life could be uh, while you're in this city. And in particular with Before Sunset, it really is with that time constraint that Linklater puts on the characters of, you know, got to make that plane. Uh, they get to somewhat time travel like in Midnight in Paris and go back and pontificate on what their life would have been if they had met up. It's definitely, you know, as much as you would hate to give Linklater any credit, <laughs> it's a it's a cinematic idea because not many people get to have the physical presence of that daydream. In this case, Ethan Hawke or Julie Delpy, depending on you know which character uh, you lean towards, right in front of you. And you get to hash out what could have been. Instead, it's usually just like a, a split second in your mind while you're at work. Like, well, I wonder if I had done that instead. And he just expands it out to, to 90 minutes. Maybe he's got one up on Christopher Nolan. Maybe Linklater <laughs> can teach him a thing or two about a... <laughs> movie about dreams <laughs> well nolan also does uh in fact uh gives a time constraint but he nolan cheats he's like oh wait we need a little yes. more time we're gonna go in another dream level <laughs> yeah nolan has the uh the game genie cartridge that he yeah! <laughs> sticks his his film in <laughs> he's got the the codes with his little book uh, that, that's christopher nolan to a t i like that but he but he, uh, he does give himself a little bit of a boundary where he's like all right limbo is it but he doesn't give a specific limit in terms of time. He's like, oh, we're just there forever, and we don't know how long the time is. and how." Because you're right. At the end of that movie, we have no idea how long. I mean, judging by the look of Saito, uh, <laughs> they've been in there quite a while. And his manner of speaking, which you hate, <laughs> marble mouth Saito. <laughs> <laughs> they've been in there for quite a while, and we have no idea. And when they wake up, they're still on that plane. Very much like the, uh, the the pop song, right? The idea Ethan Hawke throws out there, giving away free content to the journalists and say, hey, what's your next book? And it's like, I don't know. I, I think I want to do one about – it's like a man's whole life that takes place during one like pop song. Oh, that's thing. And, right. Uh, yeah. 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 See? Yet again, Linklater bettering Nolan in so many ways without the game genie. <laughs> no. Natural. And almost a throwaway. Linklater is like, you know, I got this idea. Let me just – throw it in this film mm -hmm. i like it mm -hmm. i like it art is another thing that stood out to me before sunset is all about literature i suppose that's the art that inspires ethan hawk's character to go on this journey that leads him to paris uh, that ultimately leads him to the love of his life uh, we got a uh, midnight in paris and while literature is kind of the driving force because Gil uh, Owen Wilson is, in fact, a writer. You've got a lot of music, and you've got the artists, uh, uh, painters, and filmmakers who kind of make an appearance. Inception feels like the odd person out, the odd man out here, because while I did kind of go into 
okay, well, this could all be a metaphor for filmmaking. Is there art in Inception that could connect this into a, a trilogy? Well, I mean, it's it's about creation, uh, even just within the, the narrative itself, as far as someone who can visualize uh, a place. But you also uh, – the interesting rule in Inception is the more you bring from your, your own existence, the more it uh, damns you as a, as a creator. Like the, you know, the, the rule that uh, Cobb places on Little Juno uh, is to, to have some distance from your own – reality which i was thinking about with midnight in paris was interesting because ethan hawking before sunset almost wills in the reality he wants into existence he 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 writes the novel about this experience almost as this message in a bottle to celine and she appears and he gets he gets to make that happen for him through art (laughs) now owen wilson his character can write what he's lived, but he doesn't actually put any action into place as far as how his real life is going. Like uh, he has to have the, uh, the Kathy Bates character as his, as his editor, like say like, Oh, here's the, the one uh, critique we got was that like, it's totally unbelievable that our lead would not know <laughs> that his fiance is cheating on him. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't know he wrote it down. So it's like, you know, he's, he's got some sort of weird antenna up as far as picking up these little, nuances about the people in his life but he doesn't know how to apply it he doesn't know how unlike he's not he doesn't know how to will it into existence so i, I thought all of that was if you're going with that look at an artist uh someone trying to to live the stories that they're creating i i thought that was interesting that an inception you know no one seems to be positing that the more you're haunted by real life events the worse it's going to make your art and even the thing that you liked the most with you know scarecrow getting <laughs> getting to to reconnect with his father it's it's a false notion that's been implanted by someone else it's not authentic anyway so it's you know inception has a, a hopeful ending but it's a, it's a very cynical movie in that regard as far as uh, the art versus the artist that boundary that no one seems to want to place and I think that's probably why, you know, in this climate, you know, I'm leaning more Linklater because I like the idea of writing that love song or that love story that that brings love into your life. No, that's a good point. And and the stuff that you mentioned with uh, the Ariadne character Juno, she I swear she has a real name. She is a person, a citizen of a country with a You know <laughs> I I know I like I she is a name that I remember and it's easy for me to pronounce, Ellen Page. But I, I like Juno, and it's an iconic character, and I think it's it you know it's, it's cool when you get to to be that and that that story. You always get onto me, but how often I bring up Kevin Smith, or that, I guess we both do. <laughs> but I always remember that <laughs> that story he told about Bruce Willis, where he's standing on a street corner, like in a break during filming, and someone like yelled out, called him Die Hard, or said Die Hard rules or whatever, <laughs> and Bruce Willis looks at him and says, "I hate them the most." <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought that was so – I agreed with Kevin Smith. I thought that was so sad. I would love if someone just yelled at me, die hard, if I became die hard. So that is that is my total compliment to Ellen Page that you know she is Juno. Juno is an iconic piece of uh, cinema to me at this point. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I remember going to the theater back when it was still only playing in select theaters because it wasn't that popular at the time. And I saw it and I was like, this might be my favorite film of the year because it was just so wonderful and instantly iconic. And, and I've all, I'd always loved Diablo Cody's work. I'm just – I'm very uh, enamored by it, by her writing style. 
And of course, her like stripper to screenwriter story was also very interesting to me. But the backlash was so harsh and so so mean spirited. I thought yeah. and I could never truck with it. Never. <laughs> she, uh, what did she do after Jennifer's Body? Like I dug that a lot. I thought that was. I like it a lot too. I mean, it's you know, this is just a preview that one day you'll get a Diablo Cody <laughs> trilogy. <laughs> Clearly, uh, neither one of us have grown out of referencing Kevin Smith, the glory days, the mid-90s, <laughs> all of his stories. Did, did you geek out as much as I did when you saw Stan Lee reading the script for Mallrats and Captain Marvel? Oh, I love that. Yeah. I thought that was sweet. I love that. That was a nice touch. Absolutely. Getting back to our trilogy here. Do you think that there is enough connective tissue to call this a trilogy in in theory <laughs> see what i did there gotta promote our own show I know, but right? on our own too. show <laughs> <laughs> i I, th- I feel like inception is probably the one that's the most and i hate to use this word because it describes the film as well it's very abstract when you try and fit this into literally any trilogy that's not I guess, obvious. Like, when you do a double feature or a triple feature with something like Inception, you're probably going to have ass-kickery and, and gunplay in the other movies. And I'm so thrilled that you thought of this one to include in something like this because you really get to kind of dive deep into what really makes Inception special, like the horrible tragedy, uh, the tragic love story between him and Maul, uh, Cobb and Maul. Which is very different than the love stories that you have in Before Sunset and Midnight in Paris. But do you think there's enough to include Inception as part of this trilogy? Or would you have gone a separate way now that you've had some time to think about it? I will never question our selections (laughs) after the fact. No, um, I mean, I knew going into this month that uh, Inception was going to be the curveball in there. That we've got to, you know, change, uh, change the pace a little bit. If you're treating you know these podcasts as like a each month is like an album or an ep you know i i, I want inception in the middle to be the one to you know you sit up and take notice a little bit like oh which where, where are they going here and if you don't know what movie is coming up next uh that would be the one that i would want to raise an eyebrow as far as like really gonna put that in with right after before sunset but the way i looked at it you know i referenced the the pop song idea that ethan hawk's character says at the beginning of before sunset was as a more, this is probably a more populist, uh, you know, with the action scenes and the great Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you know, climbing the walls and punching and fighting version of the of the before trilogy. In that, you know, we we have Jesse and Celine at the start of this, and maybe you could look at it as sort of a man's arc, his relationship with this infatuation because i think a lot of love stories are just about infatuation especially the the initial like if you're watching it condensed into two hours 
it usually veers in that territory. Now, my favorite of the before trilogies we mentioned during that episode it was before midnight. And <laughs> I think in this instance, uh, we were tracking a man who always thought that he had missed the one could have better. But as we said in that episode, he, he admits that he has a fear that he'll never be fully satisfied. And I think he accomplishes that he accomplishes something uh, in his chosen profession as, as an author with his, his art. And I think inception would be, you know, the second part of a man sort of battling with everything, getting everything they thought he wanted, much like the cop character in inception. They just spend years in the dream world, just creating, just giving into their artistic impulses and sort of dismissing the everyday domestic relationship of a couple. And in Inception, it's about, you know, in this case, you have Maul unable to get back to that, unable to give up that that dreaming of, of uh, a different life. Maybe not a better one, but one where they're basically gods. And I think what we've come down to with our third part, Midnight in Paris, is we've got a f- far happier Midnight movie in our in our version of the Before Trilogy because the characters that are no longer compatible, they have about the nicest breakup you can imagine. You yeah. have Gil, played by Owen Wilson, who realizes that his fiance and she admits that she has an affair with this complete asshole, the great Michael Sheen here, just playing up, playing the heel card. Like, I mean, this is like a wrestling match and he's just <laughs> loving the reaction he gets from the crowd. If, if there are too many wrestling fans that also love Woody Allen movies, I, I don't know. He has the realization that it's like, Hey, this is not actually what I want. Clearly I want something else. And I, I think with before sunset and inception, it's about primarily characters thinking this is what I've always wanted. And I love that inception does end on the cliffhanger of, if he actually got it or not, because I, I don't really think it matters. I think it's, I think it's just the quest of, he is just so tunnel focused, tunnel vision focus on getting that, getting that life back that he sort of dismisses the, the journey to get there, which is insane. It's an insane quest to get there. So I, I, th- I think this trilogy does work. It's, I think it, it hinges on before sunset with a lot of the discussion of that need to search for something else to, to make life worth living to, to, to make it still engaging, but then coming to the conclusion of, of what you have, like, and, and Gil and midnight in Paris, it's a very happy ending. This guy gets to time travel and yet he pulls back and realizes that maybe he, he should just come to terms with the fact that he never will be satisfied, that he's actually doing more harm to his life to always be searching. So I think we've rounded out with a happy ending and, I'm not saying anything bad about Before Midnight. I love that movie. I wouldn't say it ends as happily in in their settling. Um, yes. And not as sweetly as Midnight in Paris. It it simply ends. Um, and one thing I will say is, I guess the casualties of each of these three movies don't really get as much attention. And maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they should. In Before Sunset, I guess the casualty of ha- getting that happy ending is Ethan Hawke's other family, the family that's left back in the States. Maybe that's left a little broken. But I guess by the end, as the viewer, we don't really... We're not invested in them at all. In Inception, we have the casualties of poor Cillian Murphy maybe going down a very poor path uh, financially and personally. Who knows? But again, we can't be caught up in that because we're somewhat happy. I was going to say, here's a question for you. Does... 
does it matter if that's if that's if he's living a lie if he if he's happy find something yeah does it matter i i guess not i guess not uh, uh again it's uh, i go back to like uh watchmen uh, and rorschach who is like it's all built on a lie like do, do the ends justify the means but oftentimes most people will say no they'd rather just you know ignorance is bliss and lastly, the only casualty that I can think of in Midnight in Paris is probably the detective lost in time. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess we don't care. I guess we don't care. <laughs> yeah, that one's hard to, uh, you know, because you can look at Rachel McAdams and you're like, you know what, she'll find someone. She's clearly unhappy with her partner. She just, you know, she, she just wants to have the last word. She, she wants to win the argument with this man. Uh, but she'll be fine. She'll be perfectly fine well, with someone else that's more her speed. I cannot rouse a defense for that poor detective, though. I have, no. <laughs> I can't imagine he meets a good end. Yeah, no, I don't think <laughs> in that so. That world. And you know the moment that I realized that Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams were not meant for each other. Uh, it's just it's the little things that generally add up in a relationship. And the moment that they were shopping for furniture, and what was it? His mother-in-law was there with them, or somebody else? Mm-hmm. And the line yes. that she says, "Well, cheap is cheap." That line was so revolting to me, and I hope Gil as well as a character. It's like, you're not only with the wrong woman, but this wrong family. Like, you're just, you do not belong here. You're too romantic. And and being in Paris is just magnifying how, what an incorrect situation you're in. And so I'm I'm really thrilled where the film ultimately ends up. Well, they're looking at Paris as a a glimpse of things to acquire and take back to their world, you know, and, and that's fine with like, you know, it's the nature of like vacationing that you're, you're getting a glimpse of an experience, but the fact that they are so insulting yeah. to the, the idea that someone would want to live in this beautiful place. It does, especially, you know, we're recording this in uh pandemic times. It, it makes me uh, extra vindictive to this this family that is not uh, enjoying that experience that you know a lot of people can't do any bit of traveling really right now but it's it's something it's it's a weird mix with the gill character because he's someone who's fully capable of being totally consumed and in the moment in paris but he's he's treated as if he's aimless and lost uh, and i guess there's a little bit of that with the time traveling aspect that you know he's literally being transported to another age um but it's funny like that you know that attribute that makes him as you said a very romantic character makes him just like a stupid ass <laughs> to, the, to them <laughs> and you know they're i guess it's just the way you you frame the character too because i want to know what you think of what do you think of of cobb like you know, you you talked about how he's sort of he's using you know the uh the metaphor used was like the director he's sort of putting people in positions to achieve his his vision even when it's you know putting them it's putting them in danger do you think like is inception ever really talked about as far as like the likability of this this character because he's he's wearing the the dressings of the hero he has the cool you know he has the gun he has the suit but he you know, he's far more in line with other characters I love in film, like a, a Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo or Jake Gyllenhaal in Zodiac. He is so consumed by this thing that he's relatively indifferent to how it affects the people uh, immediately around him. And he's putting them in danger, as we mentioned earlier, because 
he's aware of his issue with uh, his subconscious wife coming into the dreams and ruining everything. And that certainly happens later on at the end. And so he does, he really doesn't care. You're absolutely right. Gil and Jesse are pretty likable. You know, they're, they're both kind of in relationships they shouldn't be in. And we kind of get an insight into their soul through their artistic tendencies. Cobb is, once again, kind of the odd man out, where we don't know that much about him. I think there are a couple factors that allow us to, I guess, like him immediately. One is that his wife dies. And there's something about being a widower that you immediately feel compassion. I think most people with any kind of empathy will immediately feel compassion for that person. And also that he does not have access to his kids and he desperately wants to go back to his kids. So he has, at, at the very least, you can say, like he wants to be a good father or he wants to be a father to his children and he's unable to. And so immediately you grasp onto that. Like, okay, I think as an audience, we're always looking to find a protagonist to go on a journey with and to empathize with and just... To, to cheer for and that's enough for us because Inception doesn't get into the nitty gritty details of the characters outside of a few and that tragic history of, of Cobb I think is enough for us to like him in terms of how you know if he's a dog person or like you know, all, all of those little things <laughs> I just don't yeah we just don't have time for there's there's just too much happening look he, he he's intriguing if he walks into a bar and says very little, there's something that you're attracted to uh, about this the, the cop character. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Ethan Hawke is incredibly handsome, and Owen Wilson, he has a look. <laughs> I don't know if he's ever been considered <laughs> a sex symbol. <laughs> I'm not saying he's an unattractive guy, but, I mean, come on. let's. We're doing him a disservice by putting him up against DiCaprio and Hawke, who have been, you know, posters on the wall i don't know man owen wilson he's just he's so hot right now have you have you not seen <laughs> that's true he's he is the only one to have played a male model i believe on screen so screw those other guys but you know the thing that uh gill and jesse share is that they they don't mind being open books and actually it's it's served them well to to wear their their heart on their sleeve and you know, Inception probably just doesn't work as a movie <laughs> if Cobb is just first seen. Like, let me tell you my <laughs> my whole story, kid. It's like the uh, <laughs> the moment from what the the Dewey Cox story, Walk Hard. Like, give him a minute, kid. He's got to think about his entire life in the next few minutes. <laughs> like, that's 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 not going to happen with with Cobb, and it certainly wouldn't happen with a Nolan film. But I I I like these these three as a trilogy because it's it's got that wanderlust aspect to it but it's it's all about guys who are desperate to, to find their their place it's it's not something that they just want to travel the world and and make no connections like um they they are desperate to find find their person to find their their home in case of inception find their home again and i like that i don't, I don't think you often get that in, in movies about that particular search there i think they're usually an, uh, an excuse to uh, to have adventures in various locales with various other other people, but in this one, it's there's a neediness to all the characters that could be off-putting. But I think that the three films successfully navigate that and make them all all charming in different ways. I agree, and uh, let's 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 end with this one quick thing. I was so excited about this trilogy; like I've been thinking about it for the past three weeks, quite a bit everywhere I go. 
uh, the wife and I were at uh, the Macy's yesterday picking up a couple items, and I happened to go into their clearance section, and I saw a, a comforter and, like, bedding set that was very Paris-themed. It had just Eiffel Towers and just, you know, Paris items on it. I desperately wanted to purchase it just so I could feel a little closer to Paris. Um, I was very much thinking about our wrap-up show, what we're going to talk about, and how each of these three films are very much all about being in that setting. And I wanted to just a little taste, and you're right, this pandemic has absolutely affected the way that we view the world, the way that we view little things like being out and about, the way we view vacationing. And I ultimately didn't get it because our bed's a queen size and it's a king. It wouldn't have worked anyways. But! <laughs> I love the practical reason comes in. <laughs> when that came back, that's when the reality hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, well, it wouldn't really work because it'd be too much and it'd look awkward. But there was a longing as I left the Macy's to go back home and just be like, man, what could have been had I bought that comforter set? Came with a couple extra pillows and whatnot. It would have been nice. It would have been nice. Hard to say. What actress uh, does she remind you of? Lonnie Anderson. <laughs> Lonnie Anderson? What, there's something wrong with Lonnie Anderson? <laughs> hey, listen, thanks again for running over here. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, sure. I was showing a condo on 48th Street. Besides, you think I want to miss this? <laughs> I'm a little nervous. Yeah, me too. If I see her, what do I say that I'm doing here in the building? You came to see me. I work in the building. What do you do? I'm an architect. You're an architect? I'm not. <laughs> I don't see architecture coming from you. I suppose you could be an architect. <laughs> I never said that I was the architect. Just something else. Right, so she's not even going to ask. If we see her, which is remote. Well, what do you want me to say? I just wandered in here? We're having lunch with a friend. He works in the building. What is his name? Bert Harbinson. Bert Harbinson. Bert Harbinson. Right. It sounds made up. Okay. All right. Um, Art Core. Art Core. Valet. Corvalet? Yeah, right. What does he do? He's an importer. Just imports? No exports? 
He's an importer-exporter, okay? <laughs> Lane ever call you back? No, I guess she's still mad. I don't understand. You, you, you never talk to her about other women? Never. Wait a second. That's her. On the right. I forgot who I am. Who am I? Where are you? We're having lunch with Art Corvalet. Vandalay. Corvalet. Let me be the architect. I can do it. I can do it. Hey, hey, uh... Pamela's birthday party? Didn't I see you there, Jerry? Sure. Hi. Uh, this is George. I'm sorry. Vanessa. Uh, nice to meet you. Ah, Sagan Bennett, Robbins, Oppenheim, and Taft. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. What are you doing here? Oh. Uh, we're meeting a friend of ours for lunch. Works here in the building. Yeah, Art Vandelay. <laughs> Which company? I don't know. Uh, he's an importer. Importer. And exporter. He's an importer-exporter. <laughs> I'm, uh... I'm an architect. Really? Yeah. Well, what do you design? Uh, railroads. Uh... I thought engineers do that. They can. 